You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, for our time now that my words might be your words and we might come to know and love you and your son more dearly and likewise each other. These things we pray for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this is the last week of our time through uh, 1 Peter. And I chose 1 Peter for us to look at this time of year. By the way, we look at at least the scheme that I developed. We're looking at epistles basically late spring through summer each year. Um, when thinking about uh, this season, um, what texts I might like to have us look at, First Peter was one of them that came to mind. We'll start Hebrews next week. But the reason I wanted us to look at First Peter is I've done a lot of thinking over the past couple years about how, and there are many, of people, many people talking about how we in the United States, in the West, are living in a post-Christian uh, society and I would even go on to say that even in the South, in the Bible, so-called Bible Belt, that we're increasingly living in post-Christendom, if ever we were actually in Christendom. And First uh, Peter is a letter where Peter's writing to minorities, uh, my, uh, Christians who are minorities in a hostile society, and they're suffering uh, for their faith, and Peter's encouraging them. And though we might not feel the pressure in the same way that Peter does, I might sound like um, an alarmist, I think that there's a potential future where we might feel um, the pressure of being publicly a Christian in similar ways. As someone who grew up in San Francisco, um, I often point out that the way that society is in San Francisco or places like Europe or New York is where the rest of America will be in 10 to 20 years. Uh, so what I knew back around circa 2000 in terms of what it might feel like to be a Christian in San Francisco, we might feel even here in Birmingham, Alabama. So what does First Peter say to us now and maybe as people who will uh, feel the pressure of being Christians publicly in decades to come? Uh, well, one way that Peter addresses this minority group to encourage them is uh, he, he, well, there are several themes in the book. I can't address them all. I can't even address everything that's in our passage today. That's the difficult thing here. But one of the ways that he encourages them throughout the letter is to uh, basically ask them to keep things in an eternal perspective. What Brandon said to us early, earlier about now and forever, amen, that um, there's an eternal reality, and that our time here is uh, one of exile, um, that we're sojourning in this life, as it were. And we have a living hope that's stored up for us in heaven, and uh, Peter refers uh, to this life here and now as a little while. He says that a couple times in the letter, and even in our passage today, this little while that he repeats is this life now. Even though when we're feeling pain, it might feel like an eternity here, uh, this is uh, just a sort of footnote to, to all of eternity in this little while life. Another larger theme uh, is Peter's insistence that his uh, audience be holy in their living. 
uh, he talks a lot about holiness. And the reason for this is that he's saying that we want to live in this, at least his audience, in this sort of secular, pagan, Greco-Roman society. He wants them to, to live as upright, secular citizens so that no one uh, may accuse them of, of doing wrong, um, that they are good neighbors. And uh, the only crime that someone might charge against them is the hope that they have in Jesus Christ and whatever implications that might have. So there might be no confusion when being brought before the magistrates, the thing that they're being brought forward for is uh, for their witness to Jesus Christ. And so that's the call of holiness. And these two themes, the eternal perspective and the holiness, are also in uh, chapter 5, as I said, is the, the very end of the letter. So this is, these are some of um, Peter's uh, parting shots here with First Peter. So I want to uh, talk to you today about keeping that eternal perspective in this little while life and also holiness, which Peter in this passage chiefly refers to as humility, to humble ourselves, therefore, before God. Uh, and what these two themes of the eternal perspective and humility uh, mean for us, either as individuals or as a congregation. What does this mean for us, actually? And I'm, so I'm going to be looking at just verses 6 through 11, and then I'll uh, give a, a word uh, toward the end at, uh, for verse 14. I'd love to talk to you about the elders um, and everything else referenced in this passage, but we just haven't got time. Um, note that uh, Peter in verses 6 through 11 talks about the devil as real and true. The, the, the devil is a reality. And, you know, I know I start to get I sort of start to get embarrassed and blush when I talk about the devil as real, because some people think that that's a sort of fantasy. But if you read the Bible, the New Testament, and you take that seriously, uh, Peter and Jesus Christ and Paul and many other people take the devil as serious. And this is one of the passages where uh, Peter is helping us to take the devil real seriously, uh, that the devil is a truly powerful creature, um, the most powerful creature in this world, the prince of this world. You could even say the sort of lower uh, case G, God of this world. But our God is stronger still. The one true God of Jesus Christ is stronger still. You know, my God can beat up your Satan, basically, is kind of what Peter's saying. He's strong, very strong. Don't take him lightly at all. Uh, be careful, watch out, you know, resist him, but God is stronger still, the, the, the mighty one, even mightier than the devil. And this is a, a word of encouragement and, uh, and hope, and that uh, we're given permission to actively resist the devil. How do we do this? Peter says, by standing firm in our faith in the one true God. That's how we actively resist the devil and by uh, being humble before God alone. Uh, by being humble, we humbly resist the devil. By being humble before God, we're engaging in a humble act of resistance against the devil. And uh, we resist the, the devil through humility um, and, and nothing else. By, and basically what that means is through having faith in the one true God and in his strength, uh, not in our strength. And as Peter says, uh, God resists the proud. And he's not just talking about us. 
there's no one who's more prideful than the devil. This may be his chief problem. Uh, so if God resists the proud, but God gives grace, and that means his favor to the humble, uh, God wants people to come to him in weakness, uh, that we actively resist the devil uh, by our admission of weakness, weakness and need for God's strength. And it's by this strength alone that the devil is conquered. And so no, no, no matter how bad things get in this life, uh, the followers of Jesus Christ ought to be marked by humility because we can remember that we have a, an eternal perspective. This, is a, this life is only a little while, though it may seem like a long time, even on our own uh, deathbeds or a deathbed of a loved one or the deathbed of an idol that we've held dear our whole life. We do well to have a disposition of uh, humility and patience. Humble because we depend not on our strength, even when resisting the devil, and patient because uh, we know that there's more, than, there's more to reality than this life. So how can we do this? How can we have uh, humility and patience? How can we have humility and patience? Well, we know what's up ahead. We know the, uh, the end of the story, as it were, which is actually the beginning of the story. And we live this life in anticipation, uh, a, a sense of longing. Um, I'm going uh, to France this summer for, for two weeks in the middle of July. And I once lived in France, so I learned the French language and spent the last uh, 17 years forgetting it. Um, and so I'm going back there for the first time in, uh, in so many years, and I, I, I want to speak French while I'm there, so I'm brushing up on my French right now, which is sort of embarrassing, um, because I'm excited about going to France, and I want to be able to communicate again with the French people, no matter how difficult that is. And believe me, I lived there. The stereotypes are true. I mean, French people are very difficult to communicate with, and it's not just the language barrier. It's a cultural thing. But I still am excited to be there, and I want to be able to communicate with them in their language. And so right now, uh, for these months, I'm, I'm excited and anticipating my time there and sort of living part of my life, at least, uh, in anticipation of what's up ahead. How much more so ought we to be excited about what's ahead for us in eternity? to live life now with an even greater anticipation of uh, life with our God. So how much uh, more so when we consider this grand eternal sweep of history? The, like I said, we live in this uh, sort of footnote now, but we are citizens of heaven where treasure is stored up for us. And now we must spend some time in trial in a world that's ruled by a, a predator and uh, by hope and by God's strength, we may resist that predator that, God, that uh, Peter likens to a, a devouring lion, the devil. And so let me give you two implications of what this uh, eternal story, this, um, this story that Peter tells uh, for us about um, what we have up ahead for us, that we live in an eternal reality, and meanwhile there is an enemy, there is an adversary, that God has an adversary, and so do we in this life. So what are the implications, two implications that we could take away uh, for, for us? 
The first one is about evangelism. I want to talk to you briefly about evangelism, uh, which means the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ, which can be a dirty word because often people have engaged in evangelism in ways that have, uh, have rubbed people the wrong way. I've even been on that receiving end, so I totally get it. But uh, it's something uh, that we're called to do, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the second implication of this grand narrative that Peter tells for us is on our life together as a church. So those are the two things that I want to uh, talk to you about just now. Peter likens the devil, as I said, to this sort of predatory lion on the prowl looking for someone to devour. I mean, it's a scary image. Uh, if you've ever been stalked before, have you ever been stalked before either by an animal or a person? I mean, some people stalk people. Some people get restraining orders for this. If you've ever been stalked before, you'll understand this image. Or if you've ever watched a nature program where a predator, if you ever did the Dave Ramsey course, remember the gazelle? that he says you, you, you run like the gazelle, right? I mean, if you've ever watched a nature program before, you'll understand the image that uh, Peter is giving, what he's likened the devil to uh, a sort of predator who's on the prowl looking for something and someone to devour. Did you read the news a couple of weeks ago about the mountain lion in Washington State? Um, a mountain lion who attacked two uh, mountain bikers in Washington State. And this is a, a really rare thing. I mean, don't get too scared because you're more likely to win the lottery or get struck by lightning than to be killed by a mountain lion. Uh, but there were two men in Washington who were mountain biking, and this, they realized that this mountain lion was stalking them. And they did all the right things, you know, raising their arms and shouting to try to, to get the lion away, but he persisted uh, after some time, going away for a little while, and then they realized he was back, and he attacked them, and one of them uh, got free, survived, and the other was killed. The lion brought him uh, into his den. And they were ultimately helpless. No matter what they tried to do, they were ultimately helpless in the face of this mountain lion, and he eventually maintained his pursuit. Well, the story that Peter is telling is that God rescues us from the clutches of the devil who is like this mountain lion, uh, who pursued these two men in, in Washington State. And those who are not in the, the flock of God are either being uh, stalked by the predator or they're already in his den. And this uh, image gives us an idea of the, the sort of needed urgency that we ought to have for evangelism, meaning the sh sharing the gospel with people so that they might become one of the sheepfold of uh, the great shepherd Jesus Christ. And so, as I said, this is our, our first implication of this grand narrative that Peter's giving us, that we ought to share this message with people. Unless we share the story of uh, God's grand eternal purposes, we're leaving people to the devices of someone who's a lot like a lion on the prowl, looking for more weaklings to pick off. And don't get me wrong, when I say this, I totally understand that it's the work of the Holy Spirit to ultimately bring people to God, but the Holy Spirit works through us the Holy Spirit works through us to call people to himself. And let me also address what Peter says in this passage about uh, you who are younger. He refers to the elders, meaning the pastors, and then he, he talks about the adults, all of you, but he also talks to you who are younger. And so this message that he's saying is not just, uh, that he's telling is not just for adults 
or pastors, the gospel is for all ages, including children or youth. Children are not immune to the predatory behavior of the devil. Predators actually often seek the young, sort of get them off the the herd because they're easier to attack. And I'm sorry if this sounds terrible, but this is actually the story that Peter's telling today, uh, to take it uh, that seriously, that we ought to be sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, with children too, that it's not just for adults. But here's the hope. Here's the hope. You know, if we're like uh, weak animals like sheep, God, as Peter refers to him here today, is our great shepherd. Eternally speaking, he will not allow uh, the predator to devour us from an eternal perspective. Look at verse 10. This perhaps uh, is the most powerful and poignant verse of the whole passage, at least the one that I'm most drawn to, most struck by, that's worth, worth memorizing. Hear these words of comfort. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So no matter how bad things get, no matter how predatory the uh, enemy is, after you have suffered in this life, this little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And it's for these reasons that we need each other for support. And this is my second implication of the, the, this gospel narrative that Peter's giving us today, uh, that we need each other for strength and encouragement in this life. Because we live in a life full of suffering and pain. We live in a life where there is an enemy. Uh, we are not going to survive as lone rangers. We absolutely desperately need each other, and we need each other for what? To remind each other of the good news of Jesus Christ. That we're called here together each Sunday to gather so that we might hear and speak to each other uh, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And uh, for this reason, uh, Peter ends his letter in verse 14 saying, Greet one another with a kiss of love. You know, our equivalent is the passing of the peace, you know, at the end of the service, which we sort of do half-heartedly. But we ought to be excited and eager to see fellow Christians who, who understand and believe in this message and uh, to proclaim it to each other, that we have hope in Jesus Christ. If this world is ruled by a sinister predator, we need each other. And we should remind each other of the peace we have in Jesus. We strengthen each other by proclaiming the good news. God gives grace to the humble. And in this life, uh, that grace comes on the lips of another person. So let's not allow the gospel to be preached from the pulpit alone. You know, I mean, this is just a one-off thing once a week. We have so many more hours and minutes and days in the week that we could be uh, preaching the gospel to each other. And as a matter of fact, preachers like me need to hear the gospel from you. I need to be reminded of the good news of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ so that I can stand up before you and preach it uh, to you. I desperately need to hear that Jesus Christ died for me to save me from the clutches of the lion. And that message ultimately has to come from someone else, from someone like you. 
So I leave you now uh, with this sermon at the end of our First Peter series with this final word, a word of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I preach this so that you might uh, not just let it be the last word, that you might preach it to others. Preach it to your spouse. Preach it to your children. Preach it to your neighbor. Uh, and and, and uh, pray to God that they'll preach it to you as well. The devil might be on the prowl in this life, but Jesus Christ defeated the devil at his temptation, in his whole life, on his cross, and at his resurrection. And we're not left alone in this world. He also sent the Holy Spirit for comfort and guidance. And Peter writes his letter based on this news, on nothing else. That's what's in the background. And it's because the Father has called me and you out of a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light, of his Son who is the light, that I can preach this message to you. So no matter how bad things get, and, and they will get bad, because all of us will die an earthly death, no matter how bad things get, we have hope and final restoration. And it's by this knowledge that we humbly resist all that is bad in this life. And so let me read to you one last time, again, these words of comfort from 1 Peter. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.